Guy Adam here, Dan Nathan Nair. It is Tuesday. I love that, by the way. February 21st, market call, 1 p.m. on the East Coast. By the way, check this out, Dan. Just a few minutes. Matthew Hegarty, Senior Manager of Energy Analytics for BTU Analytics. Obviously, that is a member of FactSet. He'll be joining us. Today's episode brought to you by CME Group, Dan, where yeah. risk meets opportunity, and the aforementioned FactSet financial data and analytics that are powered by tomorrow. They also are our data, not data, data provider. Uh, Tuesday, here we are. Interesting market. Tough Ranger loss last night at home to a Winnipeg team. Their goalie, who's in the Vezina chat, as you know, Dan, stood on his head. Uh, yeah. And Chesterkin looked a little uh, – he just didn't seem to be on his game, but that's not what you're here for. We are not here. You, you and I had a heck of a weekend. You were down in D.C. all sure. week. And then I went down and I met you in DC. I didn't really meet you. I went to go w- visit my daughter, who's uh, you know at a, at a fine university that is your alma mater, sure, isn't it? And then we had just all the fams. We we, we just had a we had a, a big collab. night out. Look Look that. 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 Big night out. We got lots of our all of your three kids there. Two of my kids, and then that lovely lady who's sitting in front of your two boys, Millie, is a close family friend, and we just had a big powwow. It's and a nice then we picture. went, and then we went out for cocktail. Well, we. We didn't get a picture of beer in your old haunt in the tombs, did we? There, but no, you and we I did not get a picture. Everybody. But we went to the tombs. That's in front of the fireplace. Yeah. For you fans of the tombs, you will be very familiar with that. It's been there since its inception. Uh, Georgetown University, folks. I'm telling you right now, uh, if you are so inclined, apply for you undergrads, for you freshmen or sophomore in high school that are thinking about it. Hey, guy, am I taller than you, or is it just my hair's poofy? No, you're probably taller than me. I'm also hunched over these days. It's hard for me to stand up straight, but that's for another show. We had had a great time down there at Georgetown. Um, We had a little risk reversal media powwow with all of of our kids there. That was a lot of fun. And then you did something for me, you know, which I really, really do appreciate. I've been bugging you for, what, the last two years to go get your TSA Mm -hmm. free? You and I travel together. And, and, and again, you, I thought you were holding out just to bug me, but I'm sure your family with a couple of trips over the last year were like, guy, you got to do this. No, well, I went to the Staples a few weeks ago. I actually made myself an appointment. Nobody here cares, but I'll share the details. And I got there and, you know, I couldn't find my passport and I figured I'd be able to sweet talk my way through TSA. That obviously did not work. And then subsequently did find said passport. And I went today and it was, it was seamless. And then I bought myself. What do they call these cases you put your Apple phone device they call in? Them a case. They call them a case. Oh, they, they do? Yeah. Yeah, I bought a new case. It's blue. All right, fair enough. All right, let's do it. You were talking about the markets here. It's, it's um, you know, listen, you and I have been in this camp that what we've seen over the last six weeks or so, okay, and, and we said it after three weeks into the year, we said it after four weeks, after five weeks, we just turned the page six weeks here, that it really felt like a very similar rally that we had in the markets last year in 2022 we had a march april rally pretty big one 15 we had a uh june august rally that was like 18 percent or so we had an october december rally this is in the s p 500 here right and they all coincided in and around expectations about what the fed was going to do in and around earnings that estimates had been coming down and then companies had beat them it felt this whole period starting off in mid-january okay with 
financials with largely banks earnings. It felt like the same sort of thing. And you and I have been like, what the heck is going on here? Because expectations now for rates, and we're going to hit the CME FedWatch tool, um, have just been going higher. They haven't been going the opposite way. And each time over the last year, when we had those rallies, there was this expectation that the Fed was going to pause or pivot or something like that. And that's not going on here, guys. So here we are. The S&P is down just a few percent from those recent highs. Are we about to see a major sea change? Now, the S&P is up less than 5% on the year. The NASDAQ's up less than 11% on the year. It feels like we might be on the precipice for one of those those kind of re, I don't know, kind of rejiggering of expectations yeah. as it relates to equity. No, it's, you set it up well. I mean, the moves we saw in June and subsequently in October, they they made sense. And, you know, I think we did a good job navigating. What caught me off guard, I think, was you know the sell-off that we saw in November and December definitely made sense. But the fact that in December... We started to get our footing again. It didn't really line up with what I was seeing. Now, again, I, I'm not a big believer in seasonality. People will point to that. I have no idea. Maybe it was a tax loss selling was over and people no. were getting back. I don't really know. And I don't know what the optimism around stocks were because nothing really fundamentally changed. There was some good price action on some, you know, basically mediocre earnings releases, which I found interesting. But there, I think... There's this misguided belief that somehow there's a backstop in the market. I just don't think it's there. And I think for today, at least, people are coming to that uh, realization. I also think, um, and I'm sure we'll discuss it on Fast Money tonight a little here. I mean, obviously, geopolitically, things are not getting better. As a matter of fact, you can make an argument that things are actually getting worse, um, which makes a little bit of sense as well. So I think the market is finally taking those things into consideration, on top of which, you know, the HYG is something we talk about. And you know, not to trade the HYG. We are not suggesting that whatsoever. I use it more as a, as a barometer or a measuring stick. And if you look at the one-day move it's having today, that's not an instrument that moves a percent in a day yeah. historically. And you're seeing that to the downside today. So all these things, and you look at it, and at least for today, and to a certain extent over the last week or so, I think the market has come to the realization that, hey, wait a second, you know, things are not cheap. Things are expensive. Um, valuations do matter. And again, in a rising interest rate environment, how much you're willing to pay for stocks? I mean, that's somewhat, I think that's really what it comes down to. Yeah. So the HYG is really important and you've kind of brought this up, I think about once a week for the last like six, seven weeks or so. And I think it's important because you said that if there's one thing that could really derail other than rate expectations, okay? Um, if there's one thing that could re derail this rally in the S&P 500 would be some sort of credit event, right? So this is high yield credit. And when you look at this thing, to your point, it doesn't move. Well, it has been fairly volatile. And if you look at it, how it's kind of tracked the S&P 500 guy, um, you know, we're down about 5% in the HYG from the highs earlier this month here. And I think if the um, equity investors start to perceive some sort of risk, some sort of credit sort of event. Maybe it's some sort of big fund. Maybe it's something that is not was not anticipating a Fed fund above 5% for longer than 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 people thought. They for some reason investors thought they were going to kiss 5% guy and it was going to start going the other way later this year. So I think you really I think it's a really important point to keep a close eye on this. Is there anything else, you know, on the geopolitical front? I was talking with Danny Moses this morning. 
Danny's our co-host of our On the Tape podcast that drops every Monday and Friday mornings. Um, and, you know, Danny was saying this about geopolitical risk. It's just echoing what you just said. You know, never in his career does he remember where there's so many sort of kind of landmines out there right now. And I'll just say this, man. You know when it felt like this and we were saying this exact same thing exactly one year ago this week when Russian tanks started rolling in Ukraine and we know what happened there with inflation expectations and we know what there what happened there with just equity markets and really the risk premium that people were willing to pay um you know what I mean when when the Fed was already in their trenches and I hate to use that term and I don't mean to use it insensitively but they were really entrenched on battling inflation mm -hmm. that they knew was only going to get worse in the near term and why were they going to do that and how are they going to do that raising interest rates because they didn't want to get that out of control a little bit it was and you know we had richard fisher on you know former member of the fed on fast money last week we had a conversation and one of the questions i asked him the way i formulated it was you know i don't think there's a fed put in the form of the s p 500 if it is it's significantly lower than we are now probably south of three thousand. you know i thought there might be a fed put Though in the credit markets, if something were to sort of blow up there, either that or unemployment getting to 5%. Well, I got to tell you something, you know, it's going to be, you know, that's one of those things, you know, it moves slow. Things happen slowly until everything happens quickly. I mean, you could see that in the form of the unemployment rate, but that seems to be pretty locked yeah. in sub 4%. But it's credit that's going to be a concern. And if the credit markets start to deteriorate for whatever reason, you know, I'm not smart enough to know what the reasons are. That's what will get the Fed's attention. So if you start to see a deterioration in credit, the equity market will follow. But I will tell you, if things get bad enough, that's when the Fed comes in and starts to bail things out. So if you think there's a backstop or a put, it's going to come in the form of that. Well, I'll take the other side of that. I mean, guys, there's a scenario. When you look at a lot of this, the employment data, it might never. I mean, be, being serious, let's just say right now what's not priced in is a soft landing. A soft landing, we we talked about this a lot, right? We went from a hard landing being priced at the, you know, some point last year when the S&P was at its lows in October to maybe a soft landing, you know, at the end of the year, the start of the year. Then this whole no landing scenario came around. You know, there is a scenario though where maybe you don't have that kind of like that vicious like 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 death spiral they're talking about with wages and everything like that. But maybe wages stay high, maybe unemployment stays low, but inflation stays high, and that's not great for S and P earnings. I mean, there's a lot of scenarios. You yeah. and I are not economists, and, and 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 for whatever reason, maybe it's changing demographics of the workforce, and maybe it's a, all this virtual stuff, and maybe like you know this AI push might take more remote work. Who knows? Okay, maybe tech workers are getting hired. I just don't know here, but. Um, you know, there, there's a scenario where maybe the unemployment thing is the thing that keeps the Fed, you know, very steadfast in their kind of, you know, interest rate stance. And listen, I know that you've been um, you've thought that that that's not a bad thing, that we've normalized interest rates and maybe our economy um, can hack it. Who knows? All right. Here's somebody, though, and a friend of ours, Mike Wilson, he's the CIO over at Morgan Stanley. Every Monday he puts out a note. More, uh, Bloomberg seems to love covering it. He comes on our shows. He comes on our podcast. Um, he's saying 26% lower, guy. Um, and we could see that in months in the S&P 500. You can do that math on a 4,000 um, S&P 500. That seems like just such a distant level here. Uh, um, and, and I just want to kind of go to Carter had a note out this morning with the S&P and the VIX. This is just the year to date in both of them. And again, this is just the year to date. Look at that S&P. It's breaking that uptrend that's been in place, mm -hmm. right, since the start of January. And you look at the VIX and he's showing what might look like a head and shoulders bottom. And I'm just going to pull up the one year chart. This is our, our really good looking 
fact set chart here on that. Talk to me a little bit about that because here we are. We're back below that downtrend that's been in place since January 2021. You see the 200-day moving average at 39.50. You see that cluster at the end of December, early January before we took off at 3,800. Now, we could have drawn an uptrend there. It would have looked like a nice little X marks the spot here. But Mike is leaning into his, you know, he thinks that we get back to those pre-pandemic highs. You and I thought for a very long time we get back to those pre-pandemic highs. That's what, a 16 multiple on flat earnings, you know, ish, right? So $200 in S&P earnings for 2023. Where do you think we go next? No, and we had a conversation a while back with Urian Timmer who said, you know, that multiples and earnings don't trough at the same time. And okay, you know, that was a great point by him. And I never thought of it in that light. But, you know, things are going to start to happen, I think, relatively quickly. And I think the market's coming to the realization, you know, I saw uh, Jeremy Siegel on Squawk and Friends this morning talking about how earnings are going to, you know, surprise people to the upside. I, you know, personally, I just don't, I just don't see it happening. I, I don't understand what he's looking at. I mean, I respect I break him. In but- for a second. I, I just... I went to Penn. I didn't go to Wharton. Okay. I love the school. Um, Wharton, it's made a gazillion amazing bankers and economists in this. I just don't get that guy. I yeah. don't get why he's on TV. Has he ever, other than being in Wisdom Tree commercials, has he ever done anything other outside of academia? I just, I, honestly, I, he he sounds batshit crazy 90% of the time. And you yeah. may say, I sound batshit crazy right now, but I, he talks out of both sides of his mouth, no matter what the market's doing. I don't get it. I really honestly don't get why. What's that interesting is, you know, yeah. when you mentioned academia, that's exactly right. I think people that live there, and it's fine career choice without question, but they try to to then bridge the cap, bridge the gap between academia and the markets or real life situations. And it just doesn't work that way. I mean, what works in a textbook doesn't work in real life. And I think that's what he's at least trying to reconcile. In terms of the market, though, I think you know that I'm with Mike Wilson. I'm sure he was scratching his head, you know, the early parts of January into February. I think things are seemingly um, coming around to his way of thinking. Now, the first stop in the E-minis and, and this, the futures is 39.50. And we've talked about it. And if you can put that other chart up quickly, the one that shows that pennant formation, what we have been saying in terms of this little pennant, and if you look at the E-mini futures, we thought it would reconcile itself with each passing day, that dr- downtrend and the uptrend would somehow converge and would reconcile to the downside. And we've shown charts to that extent. And Pretty much that's what's happening here. So if you go to the next chart quickly, 39.50 is a level that should be the first stop. And we'll see what what kind of bounce if and when we get there. So that's just something to keep into consideration. But, you know, again, getting back to all these different things. Yeah, I mean, I think you started it exactly right. You know, we have seen the same type of thing in June. We saw it in October. The only difference is the ensuing sell-off from that late November peak it, it should have been steeper. It, it was far too shallow, in my opinion. You see what happened. You know, we got down to about 38 and change, and then we had this violent rally that we've seen. That was the only thing different, the magnitude of the sell-off off those late November, early December highs. Yeah, hey, hey, I just want to ping this one, and I think this is important. Doug Cass, our friend over there at Seabreeze. Um, He's watching right now. He is. He sent a. He sent me an email, uh, and you, I think, and it's important to throw this up on the XLF. And, and Doug has forgotten more about 
uh, bank stocks and financial stocks than I, you and I maybe combined will ever know. Um, he's been covering them for decades and, and he is the man. And when you look at that chart, I think he's citing some work from Jeffries, but his point, and he, it's just a simple point. I mean, so goes the, you know, the S and P following, you know, um, some of these bank stocks. And when you think about just so you know, I mean, that was this morning before today's tick. If we were to throw up, you know, that uptrend, um, you know, with today's tick in it, I mean, you have, you have it solidly breaking, the uptrend. And what's important to me about these stocks and, and forget Berkshire is the, the highest weighted and we could look at the KBW, um, you know, the bank stock in, in, index and it would look the same way or it probably looks a bit worse without Berkshire in there, guy. What's interesting to me is that in mid-January when these companies started reporting, okay, some of these big holdings in the XLF, it really added some credence to the rally in a way that even if you thought it was just the kind of January effect coming into it, some of the stuff that was the most oversold was bouncing here. But the bank stocks, I mean, estimates I think had been coming down, positioning a lot of investors for a soft to a hard landing, right, for the better part of 2022. And they didn't really start to outperform until late in the year. And maybe that was based on valuation. But if these stocks are going to start leading to the downside, I mean, that's kind of important. What is your thoughts there, guy? No, listen, you know, I think you make a great point. Doug has forgotten more about, well, forget about just banks, about markets than I'll ever know without question. And I admire him a great deal. But I mean, I think this speaks to exactly what we've been talking about. And you look at financials, more and more talking about credit concerns, reserving for credit losses, those types of things. That's typically not what you see in a bull market or an economy that's doing so well, right? I mean, they seem to be if, you know, pardon my term, but battening down the hatches for what they all seemingly see coming. And we talk about it all the time. You know, people talk about the health of the U.S. consumer and it gets a little nauseating at a certain point. What I like to say, and I'll say it here, I never underestimate the U.S. consumers want to spend. They have proven time and time again that under just about any scenario that we can throw out there, they will spend money. My concern is, are they in a position to spend? And I think the answer to that is clearly no. You know, credit card debt in the United States is going to surpass a trillion dollars. You know, we're talking about debt levels that we've never seen in a rising interest rate and environment. Yes, wages have been going up, but nearly not commensurate enough to, to overtake inflation. And you're starting to see layoffs, not just from tech companies, from, from other companies as well. So, again, I don't know how that pays. I don't know how that paints a rosy picture for yeah. the consumer. And then you just sort of bridge that over to the banks. And you can't, at least in my opinion, create a really robust scenario in, in this current environment. Yeah. And the other point is, let's just look at the, the 10 year yield It's at 392. It feels like it's going to be touching 4% really soon. Um, you know, you've been talking about the ever widening yield curve, the 210 spread. It's below 80 basis points, but it got nearly to 90 basis points, I think last week. Mm -hmm. guy. And so when you think about let's look at it on a one year basis, you know, we saw that 200 day moving averages acted as support. It's nearing those highs um, from January or so again i mean to me when you think about um you know banks do they like the high rates do they like a winding yield curve i i, I don't know but they don't seem to love you know a 10-year that's approaching four percent right now um and if you look at this on a five-year basis you know above those 2019 highs right this is the the, the 10-year yield really feels like it wants to make um, an, another push here in a way. And if you look at that CME Fed watch tool, and you've said this very aptly, you know, um, you know, like the, the Fed, they can control that two year. That's the Fed funds. That's basically, it's not the Fed funds, but it's kind of keying off of that. But all of a sudden, man, when you look out to that May, that May meeting, 
And, and, and we've been showing this chart every week on Tuesdays here, right? All of a sudden, that five and a quarter, five and a half percent, it's building here a little mm -hmm. bit, right? And if you look at the March meeting, um, and you know, you see, you, you, you see what's going on here. So, so five percent could be something much, much longer than than a lot of investors think. And I just can't imagine that's a good setup for us. Yeah, and and issue. again, you know, Starry just said. Walmart and Home Depot both said they will raise wage. Yeah, both said they're going to raise wages. And guess who's going to, I mean, those costs will get passed on. I mean, they're on razor thin, mar well, at least in terms of Walmart, razor thin margins in the first place. They're going to have to pass it on to the consumer. So inflation, that's what, that's been my point all along. I mean, you know, be careful what you wish for. And for years they were wishing for inflation because you just might get it. And then once you get it, you know, the fact that you think you can slay that dragon so easily, it just, it just doesn't happen. And we have a number coming out on Friday that, again, in my opinion, it's going to, I think it's going to surprise some people. And the last few numbers have. And you've actually uh, mentioned over the last couple of weeks that you think inflation is probably going to rear its head again as we get to the back half of this year. So to, yeah. it gets back to the Fed's job. It's not over by any stretch. And oh. again, just one more point before and then we'll bring in yeah. Matt. If the Fed were to lower rates in the back half of this year, if, that, if that's your wish, because you think somehow magically that's going to be supportive of equity prices, you have to ask yourself, what the F is going on in the United States or globally yeah. for them to lower rates in the back half of 2023? It ain't going to be good. Well, anyway. hey, listen, but guy, but that's the point. And, you know, you said, and globally, well, here's the thing, okay? A lot of people didn't think the Ukraine, the war in Ukraine after Russia's invasion a year ago would still be going on right now, right? And when you think about what happened to crude oil, what happened to natural gas, what happened to basically a whole host of other things in Europe's economy based on that. And now you think about what's going on with China. And again, you and I don't bring this up. We're not fear-mongering. We're not, we, I don't know about you. I read all weekend long. Okay. I read every day when I wake up and I'm just reading a whole host of different things from different news sources, different points of view in this and that, whatever. The situation with us in China, the situation with China and Taiwan is not getting any better anytime soon. And when you think about going back to the pandemic, why did we have the sort of inflation in goods that we had? Because we had broken supply chains. We had difficult access to, you know, really important components to a lot of electronics, right? So think about semiconductors and think about any situation the majority of semiconductors are made in china and taiwan okay and if we have any disruption there what we saw over the last year with commodities like oil and th this will be something that we, we will not we will be dealing with the reverberations mm -hmm. of this. you talk about wage growth you talk about deglobalization and you talk about reshoring all really inflationary and what all that might lead to is a fed even if we did have a global slowdown guy that is not able to lower rates right. because they're more worried about inflation that's you know right I mean? and so you're 100 percent right and, and once they give an indication that's why that's why they've been so dogmatic and have been so steadfast in the language that they're using because you know people will say there's no analog for what we're going through and they say the 72 73 analog is flawed fine but I also think there's this fear that they're going to they don't want to repeat the same mistakes that were made literally 50 years ago in the early 1970s, which is why they continue, because they understand that once they give the indication that they have this thing beaten, that's when commodity prices are going to get back on the collective horse. And somebody in the chat and I apologize because it went by too quick, but they mentioned don't forget about the debt ceiling that's coming up. I'm not forgetting about it at all because there is a very vocal minority in in you know in the republican party i'll say it 
I think that are somehow hell bent on bringing this thing to the brink. You know, I think they, in some ways, they want things to break. And that's not a political comment. Politics bore the shit out of me, but you have to read the tea leaves there too. Who you're talking about, MTG, okay? The woman is a congressperson in Atlanta, okay? Or in, you know, in Georgia, excuse me, that has two Democratic senators and she is literally calling for her state to succeed from the union. Okay. So, so when you think about that, and again, I mean, she is that vocal minority. She has the ability to, to kind of one vote in the house, right. On, on their, on their caucus to remove, you, you know, Congressperson McCarthy. From That's the right. As speaker, one vote that gets it done. And he understands that. That's why, you know, there's why they're kowtowing. He's to these. It's it, so, Again, it's not about politics. If you want to watch politics, politics, turn on CNN or Fox News or yeah. it's not don't watch me. But what, I, you know, just reading the tea leaves a little bit. I think people I think the market is discounting or taking too light what's going on on the debt ceiling front. They seem to think it's just going to remedy itself like it always do. And it will. However, there's going to be some pain associated to get to the other side of that. And then one has to wonder what the concessions are to get it there and what how detrimental it's going to be to the market. So just. Again, we're not fear mongering here. It's just you, we're just trying to pay attention. If you want cheerleaders, go watch an effing Dallas Cowboy football game or some of the shows that are on some of these networks. I am not one of those people. Neither is Dan. When when things get to, to the point where we're optimistic again, trust me, we'll be the first people to talk about it. And quite frankly, we did back in June and we did in October as well. But if you're just looking across the landscape and you want people to be bullish to sort of help you sleep at night. You're watching the wrong show. Back yeah, to you. Yeah. Well, listen. You know, when we spent some time in the S and P 500, um, you know, again, there, there's a place, um, you know, that's below 3,800, that's above, let's say, 3,300 or so, where I get a lot more constructive and start dollar cost averaging on some stocks, which I did a numerous times last year. Um, but it's not right here. All right, let's do it, guy. Because again, listen, this guy that we're bringing in, we've gotten to know him pretty well. He's BTU Analytics. That is a fact set um, company, and you know don't have a hashtag for him maybe we could I'll I mean, come up with well, something i know butters butters has taken up a lot of time and creative energy for us because you know he is the senior earnings uh analyst over there um at fact set and we've gotten to know butters really well but we're getting to know matt haggerty pretty well so why don't we bring him in here uh there he is there he is guy and he speaks a language that you love. I mean, when we talk about, you know, markets and you talk about subsectors and listen, I love tech and, and the, but when it comes to energy, that is kind of your bag, isn't it guy? Absolutely. And it's great to have Matt here. We had a great conversation a couple of weeks ago when we did the three E's, we did a special webinar at 11 AM Eastern time. Matt was part of that, but we'll get into it right now. A lot of questions. First and foremost, let's just talk about it quickly. Nat gas and they, yeah. you know, when I used to trade it, we used to call it a widow maker and there was a reason we did it. And I will tell you on that move up, it, I'm sure it caught a lot of people off guard. A lot of Johnny come lately has gotten into the Nat gas trade on the back of what Dan was talking about earlier, the whole Russian Ukraine thing, a, literally a year ago. And they looked like geniuses for about two weeks. And now <laughs> it's given the entire move back and with temperatures are what they are. In the yeah. United States specifically, but obviously what's been happening in Europe, they got lucky with the winter. That gas is just cratered. It, is there a fundamental case here at current price levels? I mean, is there an optimistic view or is this thing sort of dead in the water? You know, yeah, I know you guys were just talking about how the show isn't going to, to lie to the viewers. It's not going to lie to your listeners and talk about, you know, how everything's rosy and peachy. And, 
you know, unfortunately, I can't do much of that either. Uh, you know, so when we're looking at the natural gas markets here in the near term, I mean, I've seen some of the comments around um, the, you know, the Widowmaker and, and how everything has crashed so fast. Um, but as we look out, you know, weather was really the catalyst for all of that. Um, but there were fundamental moves towards us calling for this decline in pricing for at this point over a year. You know, so as we looked at the nine, ten dollar gas pricing that, that we were seeing over the summer, it didn't make sense for that to really persist. You know, so we were looking at uh, I know the, the age old saying is that the cure for low prices is low prices. Well, the cure for high prices is high prices. And so, uh, you know, we've seen a lot of producers really grow up and grow into this, you know, massive wave of, of production that we're seeing right now. Um, and that wave of production isn't done. You know, we're seeing breaks start to come off in, in some of those natural gas basins like the Haynesville down in Louisiana and East Texas. Um, but the more that those come off, those don't have an immediate impact on production and that supply demand balance and therefore pricing. It's going to take a little bit of time. Yeah. So let, real quickly, before we get to this um, chart, Matt, let's let's highlight something because you have on March 1st, you have um, a webcast that you're doing live um, at 2 p.m. Eastern. And Jacob, if you could throw up how our viewers, our listeners can, uh, can can access this, you can sign up for it there. And it's will oil pricing dictate U.S. LNG facility utilization here and, and a lot of good stuff there. I think you guys are going to um, break it down. So if you want to uh, sign up for that, go to advantage.factset.com slash 2023 dash oil dash webcast there and that's really important Let, let's let's talk about let's break this down um a, a little bit as a little precursor to this webcast um yeah. for next thursday a little bit i mean what 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 is you know again the cure for, for lower price lower price the cure for high price i mean they are fall you know natural gas is like falling out it's it's like off the, it's off the bottom the bottom quarter of the chart here talk to us a little bit about how that changes matt yeah. So, you know, what this really means going from here is that we're we're seeing a period of uh, low prices really through 2025, a lot of 2025. And so, uh, you know, over that time frame, what's really causing that extended period of low pricing is that we get a lot of natural gas production that comes out of oil price driven regions. So one of those being West Texas and the Permian. Um, and so as these regions, as we see high oil prices, which, you know, we forecast we're going to be up and around $85 later, later this year, a little higher than that, and then slowly starting to peter out in the back half of our of our five-year forecast. Um, but what that means is there's a whole lot of production that is coming from regions that don't care about their gas price. Um, so in the meantime, you're also seeing, you know, at the same time as all this, what we call associated gas production, um, you're not seeing a whole lot of new demand out of the US or new export demand. All of that export demand comes in 2026 and after really. Um, and so as you're waiting for all of this stuff to show up, you're seeing more and more production growth and that continues to, to weigh on the natural gas price. One of the great Scorsese movies of all times, obviously is Goodfellas. I mentioned that and Dan's saying to himself, how is he gonna get us to the next slide? Well, Henry Hill obviously played by the great Ray Liotta, not to be confused with Henry Hub, which is what you want to take us to next, Matt. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, certainly. And so, you know, when we're looking at our price forecast, um, you know, what we're, as, as I mentioned, you know, it's fairly low pricing over the next two and a half, three years. Um, but when this finally gets good, you know, when we're talking to our clients and they always ask us, you have this bearish forecast for pricing, at what point can we start getting a little bit more optimistic again? And what that means for us is, is looking at 26, 27 and 28 and beyond, because, 
You have, again, another wave of uh, liquefied natural gas export capacity, LNG export capacity coming online, where once again, you know, the U.S. can be there to help Europe move away from, from Russian gas molecules and continue to supply Asia. And so when you have this huge wave of new demand in the U.S., uh, we have fears that there's not going to be enough supply to go mm. around. And so, you know, one of the key parts of that, I mentioned it a little bit earlier, is just how much natural gas we get from oil driven regions. And so what happens if oil prices, you know, decline and, and fall off and, and really don't incentivize growing at all, then there's not a whole lot of other places where you can really warm all that up and, and get natural gas production from somewhere else in the U.S. What's interesting, effectively, what you're saying is if you're if you want to be bullish nat gas, in some ways, you have to be bearish in crude oil, which is not it's not that simple. I know. But let's take a look at crude oil because you brought a chart with you as well. I mean, crude's been basically sideways now, effectively, for the last six months. I mean, it's yeah. it's vacillated between 73 WTI and 81 or so. I think last I looked, Brent was just north of 80 bucks. But you know, it really hasn't. It, we've had a couple of days here and there, but it really hasn't moved all that much yet. These equity names, the the underlying equities have done okay. Speak to me about crude oil here. Yeah, I think on the oil side, you know, there's um, there's a few really strong known unknowns, I guess. So, so one of those, obviously, being is the the impact of sanctions on Russia. How quickly do those have an effect, and and to what? magnitude do those have an impact? So, you know, we've seen obviously over the, the last couple of weeks, Russia already announced that they're going to cut production by half a million barrels a day. Um, that is still a little bit less than what we model will come out of uh, the Russian um, uh, production machine in total. So we model that over, you know, the next six months or so, we'll see just shy of about a million barrels a day of production fall out of out of Russia. And so that's going to be one factor that helps bolster kind of a bullish case for oil. Uh, on the other hand, you know, another one that's been been talked about in the market quite a bit is how quickly uh, China comes back in in terms of, uh, you know, demand and, and how quickly they recover now that they've pulled off of um, of, of their COVID related you know, shutdowns and whatnot. So uh, as those two impacts really start to bolster the supply demand balance and and things start to get really, really tight, you know, now we have OPEC that's certainly going to maintain their their cuts through the end of the year. Um, what that ends up doing is creates a, a pretty short market towards, you know, this summer and really through the end of 2023. And so, you know, that's one of the areas where, where we get pretty bullish on, on uh, oil pricing through the rest of 2023. Uh, now, the U.S. is going to continue to grow because $85, $90 oil prices means the U.S. should grow production. And so what that does is help balance the market kind of in the longer term of that 2024 and, and go forward. So, um, you know, we're, we're certainly a little bit more bullish on oil than we are on the nat gas side. Matt, Matt, you know, it's interesting. You heard us talking before about the kind of unknowns around um, geopolitical events. And obviously, you know, this was, you know, crude was the first kind of battle fought, you know, when 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 Russia invaded um, at least economic battle, that is, yeah. um, and, and not to minimize the loss of life and, 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 and the struggle um, over there. But it's something that, you know, obviously for us who are so far removed from it, you know, we were looking at gas at the pump going higher and what that meant for, you know, corporate margins and the like. And so I'm curious, like, how much does geopolitics kind of play into your outlook? Because, again, it seems like you're worried about short supply of crude here. And it's funny, you know, when you think about China and this kind of reversal from zero COVID and, and you know, it really hasn't had a big, like, look at, look at what's gone on with crude and the guy 
guy's point, you know, I mean, it's just uh, gone sideways to lower since they kind of reopened. And then the other point I'll just make is like, here's a headline from the information. Okay. This is um, a, a tech rag here. Chinese city gangs out to invest 29 billion into tech funds. Okay. This is a really different headline than post the financial crisis in 2009. What they were investing in was building cities, you know, to nowhere and, and all that sort of stuff. And that took a lot of industrial commodities. But now they're investing in digital and virtual sorts of investments and, and the like here. And it might be different this time. I know that's a, a saying that usually gets guy kind of triggered here. But 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 again, crude oil is not telling you that China is like this gangbusters open for business. And it's not going to have the reverberations that, you know, that it had in past times, you know what I mean, about what it meant for the Chinese economy and ultimately uh, the global economy. Yeah, I mean, you know, when we're when we're looking at this, I mean, you're, you're certainly right that pricing hasn't really done a whole lot while China has been unwinding all of these cuts uh, or all of these uh, lockdowns. But, you know, at the same time, I think the market's been taken by somewhat of a surprise that Russian oil production has hasn't declined. You know, it, it certainly found other homes in China and in India. And then now with refined products, they're also finding other homes in South America and in North Africa. And so, you know, I, I think that there's a little bit of a, of a dual impact here. And so, you know, should Russian production actually decline, uh, which it, in, by large hasn't yet, um, then, you know, that's when we expect to see that impact to, to pricing. Because I, I do think that, you know, with Chinese demand recovering, you know, you're seeing refiners in China, both on the private and, and public side, buying a lot more crude again. Uh, and especially as, you know, there's this risk that Europe won't have enough refined products to go around. Um, you know, China is one of those that, that could step in and, and help that export battle to get diesel into Europe now that they're sworn off of, of Russian volumes. And, you know, obviously Saudi Arabia, the U.S. and, and North Africa are going to be a huge part of that as well. We're looking forward to the March 1st event. Jacob, if you could throw that up one more time, take a look. Obviously, you know, half hour, it's going to be a lot of information in a short amount of time. You should definitely register for this. Matt does a great job. We're going to have Matt on, obviously. When, if we get energy days where it dictates it, absolutely. Otherwise, we'll have him back as a regular guest. Matt, thanks for joining us here. Thanks so much. Thanks, bud. Matt's fan. I got to think of a, a moniker for him. I will come up with something, though. I promise you, folks. Guy, so if you have I, any I, ideas in the chat, let me yeah, have them, Dan. Throw, throw them in there. Throw them in there. Um, guy, what are you thinking about the XLE, the OIH here? Um, you had a good call on these. Um, it feels like, and I think a big part of your call has been that they have basically were able to just kind of act very differently than the commodity, right? Over the last yeah. call it six to nine months or so, the companies are run better, that that sort of thing here. I'm just curious on the equities, like how, how are you thinking about them here? Because, you know, that thing, look at that, you know, it found some resistance. Maybe you could say it's a base. It's above its 200-day moving average. Um, does it look horrible? I mean, I think if it were to break its 200-day moving average, you know, you might see the sort of move that we saw over the last year or so, those down 25% moves or so. Yeah, I mean, look, it struggled at the if you look at the three highs here, it struggled at those levels in June. It struggled in middle November. Obviously, we just had a bit of a problem towards the end of January into February. But to your point, I mean, the 200 day moving average has been a level where it's held and bounced, you know, September, October, notwithstanding. You see what I'm talking about here to answer your question specifically. I think you stay with the energy trade. I think you stay with the equities, you know, short of the market completely breaking down over the course of a week where everything gets sort of. Uh, you know, sold first, ask questions later. I think energy stocks in this environment specifically are going to hold up a lot better than some of their tech rivals. So I'm still, 
Yeah. There's not right now the energy trade, in my opinion, is still alive and well. Obviously, today not a particularly good day, but you know, we'll see what happens. 82 and a half. That's that 200 day. Let's see if XLE can hold that and it might cre- present like a good opportunity um, to make another move, you know, towards that kind of mid 90s sort of level. All right. Let's just hit a few single names. There's some earnings guy over the next uh, 24 hours, I think, are kind of interesting, but I wanted to quickly hit Apple. Um, Carter Braxton worth of worth charting had this note out late Friday afternoon. I thought it was kind of interesting mm-hmm. he's highlighting this kind of 157 ish level you see that steep uptrend it got what did it get down at 124 and then rock yeah, well we i mean i don't know how long we said 125 but we said it's going there and it got there you know and i did, i thought look the bounce was quicker and stronger than i thought it would be with that said that leads to this chart right here so i think carter's spot on you know this 157 and a half, 158 level was resistance back in the fall. It's going to be resistance here again. And Apple goes down too, folks. I'm, I'm just here to tell you. I know everybody loves it. You know, don't bitch. Yeah. I don't shit on my Apple. I get it. You know, I'm, I'm a little more agnostic. But believe it or not, over the course of the last five or six years, you've seen at least a half a dozen 25 to 40% moves to the downside. So, yeah, you know, you know I'm again, you know, it, just take that for what it's worth. It's interesting. You know, my wife likes to put peanut butter on apples. She she chops them up. Yeah, people do that. It's so yeah. I like to eat apples with apples. You know, certain oh. things you don't have to add accoutrement. That's a French word. Look no, it up. but I think she's looking to add a little protein. So she yeah. she has those little those little peanut butter packets, and she'll take an mm. apple with her and a peanut butter packet, and then she'll even put a little yeah bang. Listen, bang. just since you brought up apples, I like green apples. And if you have a problem with your apple browning, if you put a little lemon juice on it, that will you know help. I'm allergic to apples. If if I, if I take a bite of an apple, my eyes will start itching and my ears Odd. will start itching. Yeah. All right. Let's hit um, Home Depot. Uh, down 6% today, guy. And this it's a is a big move. That's a huge single-day move in this stock. Yeah. What, what, what was your takeaway from the guidance? Um, you know, the, they missed on revenues. The guidance was a, was a bit downbeat here. Uh, big move through its 200-day moving average. And again, we've we've cited a lot of data on the market call over the last kind of few weeks about how the breadth of the rally – um, was was doing pretty well, and 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 usually you'll see that relative to how many stocks are above their 200-day moving average. And again, you know the housing data. This was, you know, the house, the housing market was one of those things that the Fed was really targeting, right, with those rate increases, because we know what happens when things get euphoric in that market here. And we had, you know, a decade of of zero interest rates. We had. You know, the 30-year mortgage was what, like two and a half percent? It was like crazy. It was under three percent, and that doubled in less than a year or so. So we're seeing the housing trade coming up. Sometimes that's good for uh, Home Depot, right? When rates go higher, it doesn't seem to be a great time for it right now. Well, it's good in so much as you know, people look. I mean, you can make a bullish argument for Home Depot under a lot of set of circumstances. You know, people can't move out of their house because effectively, if you think about it, their mortgage rate is an asset. So instead of moving or trying to move, they're just going to fix up their existing house. That works at Home Depot. There are a lot of scenarios that work for Home Depot. Unfortunately, the scenario that we're about to go into, this rising interest rate environment where people are now, I mean, if you think about the cost for some people, they've gone up significantly. That disposable income is not going to be spent at Home Depot. This was not a great guide by any stretch of imagination. And the concern with Home Depot for years was valuation, but nobody gave a shit because valuations didn't matter. When valuations started to matter again, it's not coincidental that Home Depot sort of topped out and has been trading lower to sideways ever since. 200-day moving average comes into play today. We'll see if it holds. You're obviously going to have a huge volume day today. I haven't looked. My sense is we're probably two and a half, three times normal volume already. 
So if you're looking for a trade, um, you know, today might be an interesting day. Unfortunately, the stock is actually more expensive now than it probably was 24 hours ago yeah. in terms of the guidance they gave. Just something to keep in consideration. You bring that point up, and it's so important. And again, you know, why do we quote facts at data all the time? Because again, you know, it's showing us kind of what, you know, a, a year ago, what earnings and, and sales and margins and, and all the key metrics were. And they'll show the year over year, the period over period um, sort of estimates here. And I'm looking at this right now, guy, and given that guidance that they just gave, I mean, 2024, that's the current fiscal year um, for them. You know, the stock's trading about 18 times expected earnings growth of like low single digits. Maybe it's two, maybe it's 3%. Maybe that's too high. And the same for sales growth here. And so again, they talk about wages. They talk about wages going up. That's going to weigh um, on margins also too. So, you know, again, I mean, this is a company that's had like a 33 handle on their, their gross margins um, forever. If you see that thing going the opposite way with, with negative earnings and sales growth, trading above a market multiple or about the forward average, I mean, maybe it shouldn't trade at that. Like that's kind of my, my only point. And I'm, exactly I'm, glad right. you, I'm glad you bring it up based on the guidance. All right. Here, let's Real look quick, at this is a good, and we got to go, I know. Yeah. This is an LMA. This is actually a really good point that he or she makes. If you guys are bearish, why did you buy Snap, Google, Lyft last week? Time to nibble on. So, so just quickly, just let me address that quickly. Yeah. They're, you know, yes, we've been bearish, but, you know, in that environment, there are always trades to the upside on, on single stocks. So you can't, we don't try to paint with a broad brush, brush yeah. in a bear market, which we've effectively been in for a period of time. Those are the, sometimes the best opportunities to put things on on the long side. Totally. All right, two things real quickly, or three things here on, on that on that point. Okay, I said I bought Google at ninety four, and when uh, Microsoft was one sixty seven and a half, I put a short on using options. It was a pairs trade on Friday. I tweeted it out with the video from the prior week when I said I was doing that. I said I was selling my Google at ninety four, and I was taking some profit in the Microsoft, but I was rolling it. Okay. Also, I'm going to stick with the Microsoft. We reserve the right to change our minds, and we're going to be as transparent as we can. Why do we talk on these things every day? Why do we tweet the stuff out for exactly that? Okay. Now, snap. Lift. I said I'm going dumpster diving. These two stocks got hit really hard after earnings, and I'm buying them um, below those levels. And so again, you know, oftentimes I'll look to do with options, and I'll define my risk. So um, yeah, I'm bearish. I have some trades that are starting to work really well um, on the short side. All right, one last thing, guy, before we get out of here, I want to look at TJX. This is TJ Maxx Companies. Really interesting retailer in this environment, right? So this is an off-price retailer. Look at that one-year chart. I mean. And that consolidation um, over the last few months is really impressive here. You look at that 200-day moving average. It was back at the breakout level um, from the fall. We also have a five-year chart of this one. So the implied move in the options market is about 5% or about $4 um, in either direction. And you look at that breakdown level um, or that breakout level where the stock is consolidated in this little flag or so. Listen. Very constructive chart, but this is like a chart that looks like it's going in a different direction than the overall market here. And if you talk about valuations, this stock is trading 25 times trailing or so, yeah. 22 times forward. And I got to tell you, for the expected earnings growth, uh, maybe 10% or so. And then sales growth is going to be you know, in the mid-single digits. Seems kind of fat, guy. This thing seems priced to perfection. Perfection. There was a great Molly Hatchet song off flirting with disaster. One man's pleasure is another man's pain. One man's loss is another man's gain. I mention that because 
what what is other people's pain and some of these retailers it works to tjx in spades and i think that's why it's traded the way it's traded if you look at some of these retailers with inventory problems who wins to that tjx with that said it's an expensive stock in this environment how do you trade it well you hope they miss and you get a pullback to the 200 day moving average which you've seen before and then i think you try to get the opportunity to get on the long side i think you if you're buying it here um, I think you're flipping the coin at best, Dan. Yeah, I agree with that. All right, listen, guy, we went really long today. We did not have a market call. We had Haggerty. Today. We had Matt Haggerty. Um, you know, I call him Haggerty. It's I, like it's like the guy I, Grizzly Adams. I know what you do, but guys, go sign up for his webinar on March 1st, 2 p.m. Eastern. Uh, Jacob's going to put the link up there. Um, you know where to find it. I think that's going to be a great call. They're great partners of ours. So Matt is a really smart guy here. So check um, that out. All right, guy, we covered a lot of ground here, man. Take Hell us yeah. Up. Listen, tough Ranger loss last night. They were due, but I, I got to tell you something. Shesterkin is my concern. The Rangers got 50 shots on goal. Most of the time, they're going to get four or five goals on nights like that. I'm not worried about the team. I'm worried about my guy in the pipes right now. I think he's struggling, but you know what? In February is when you start to figure things out. There's still some time in the playoffs, as you know, Dan. But that's it for Market Call. I want to thank CME Group, where risk meets opportunity. I want to thank Matthew Haggerty. I want to thank Doug Cass for participating offline on this one. I want to thank our audience, obviously. Dan Nathan, you are the driving force behind this. And I want to thank FactSet Financial Data and Analytics, powered by tomorrow. Thank you for allowing Matt to come on with us. Thank you for being our data provider. We'll be back tomorrow, which is Wednesday. Uh, with a great Carter Braxton Worth. See you, peeps. All right, see you later.